0: good evening in 2004 there was a movie or rather there was an event on boxers day that gave rise to a movie almost a decade later it was probably the greatest natural disaster in any of our lifetimes it happened on boxers day the day after christmas 2004 and in most of the places where the tragedy occurred There was sunshine and apparently still waters up until the moment in which that tsunami struck. It particularly hit hard Indonesia and the area around Phuket, Thailand. But people in 14 different nations died as far away as Kenya, where two people were swept into the ocean by the tidal wave that came from that massive tsunami. You may not remember much about that depending on your age, but maybe you've seen the movie The Impossible... In 2012, it was put out. It was a movie about a family, the Bennett family, that was separated by the tsunami. A doctor and her husband and three children, and the drama of them all, against all odds, coming back together and being reunited. It was particularly intense because of their search for their children. They really wanted to see their children again. Of course, the husband and wife to be reunited. Anytime there's a potential loss like this, it's frightening. And we don't like the thought of anyone in our family, helpless as we are, winding up in a condition that we really just don't want to think about. 250,000 people died. And about a third of them were children. But there's another couple, a family much less glamorous, much poorer, whose story did not make the national headlines, much less become a movie. It was a, a mother and father with several children. And right after the tsunami was over, they found their daughter. But after 10 years of searching, they finally found their son alive. The Rangkuti family, it's hard to imagine their elation when they thought there was no chance. They had all but given up in the recovery of their child much less alive it's a very painful thing to consider our children falling away it is hard for us to consider the thought of anybody in our family leaving the Lord I feel very blessed that up to this point in my life I have not had to go through the loss of a parent or a sibling or a child of the world but the people who are the dearest to me that I love the most In almost all of the cases, they have lost somebody to the world who was once faithful to the Lord. And every loss is unacceptable and difficult to bear. But I don't know that there is a loss that equals the loss of a child. I cannot tell you how many different families I have had sit in my office and to tell me about the sad details of a child who has left the Lord for the world. But it is something that's happening with great regularity. You know, Pew does a study. They do religious studies of things like affiliated faith. And they had a study in 2007 and 2015 and a benchmark study that occurred again in 2019. And they give us indication in those studies about the percentage of each generation that profess to be Christians in the broadest sense of the word, what we would call Christendom. And as they do that study, they do it by generation, and they say that those who make up the silent generation that's my parents' generation, those born between 1928 and 1945, through the years, that number has not dropped very much. It hovers somewhere under 90%. Even today, about 85% of folks in that age range. But then they did a study of millennials, and particularly younger millennials, and that's my children's generation. In which they found in the 2019 study that only 49% claim to be Christians, that 40% in that age range claim no religious affiliation at all, even though almost 8 in 10 of them say that they were raised in a Christian home. And if we look from 2007 to 2019, that percentage has grown by 20%. And what that means is that 2 in 10 families are wrestling with that who would not have wrestled with it 15 years ago. I imagine as I look out tonight that there are a great many people who in their hearts you're saying, help my child has fallen away. And as that pain is aching in your heart, you realize that it echoes a sentiment that has been uh, spoken throughout time, and especially in recorded scripture, as you think about Adam and Eve as they suffered at the thought of the loss of their son, Cain. Or perhaps it's the feeling of Noah as he contemplates the spiritual condition of his son, Ham. Or maybe it's the feeling that Jacob had as he assesses his entire situation with his boys and he thinks about his son's behavior. And how far they had fallen. Or what about Eli who daily had to confront the ungodliness of Hophni and Phinehas. What about David? You know this is a contest that no one would want to win. But if it were a contest then suppose that David won. And by win I mean lose. Because David suffered so much apostasy and unfaithfulness in his own home. And as we think about David, we realize that David precipitated and caused a lot of that through his own apostasy and unfaithfulness. There has to be a particular pain that follows when we look into our own lives and we see our own actions and failed leadership that leads to our children falling away. In situations like those, I suppose, there's a haunting quality to the words in Proverbs 22 and verse 6, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. But I want to tell you that no matter where you find yourself, if you look into your life and you realize that there were decisions that you made and leadership that you exhibited that contributed to your child falling away or if perhaps despite your greatest efforts to keep them faithful, you saw your children fall away, you're in the same place. You're wanting divine guidance, help, for when your child falls away. Is there a place that we can look in Scripture? Is there somewhere that can guide us? When I think about what the Bible says about this, I think about a parable that is very familiar to us. We preach a lot about it, and we look in the Bible class at these parables, and when we do so, we're usually looking from the child's perspective and what it means to go off into the far country of sin. But how often do we look from the Father's point of view? I believe that as we look at Luke chapter 15, verse 11 through 32, we find great information to help us. I realize that we're all in different stages of life. There are those of us who are now looking at grandchildren and maybe perhaps it's relevant in that situation. Or maybe we find ourselves in a place where we're not, we don't have children and that we have loved ones, friends that are in this circumstance. Or maybe our children are small and we're not yet crossing that bridge. Or maybe that's a prospect for the future. But I do believe that these principles are those that can help us when we find a loved one that falls away But perhaps if it's our children, these will be specifically helpful for us. What are some principles that the Father helps us to learn in this parable in Luke chapter 15, verse 11 through 32? What does He show us? What does He tell us by His example? What can we do if our children have fallen away? I want us to notice some principles from this parable tonight. The first principle that He teaches us is that when our child falls away that we need to let them go. Verse 11 and 12. That's probably not what you thought that the preacher would say or that you would think that elders or those who are giving counsel would say that you ought to do when your children fall away. And yet I want you to look in this parable and see that that's exactly what the father does. His father, as Clint read to us so well a moment ago in verse 11 and 12, his father has the boy come up to him, that younger son, and say, I want you to give me what's mine, and then he goes away. And there's nowhere in the story where it says that the father stopped him at all. And this, this story represents to us the father. It represents to us those that are shown through the shepherd and the woman and Jesus, those who love uh, those tax collectors and sinners God understands what that feels like. God gave perhaps the hardest assignment to Hosea. Hosea who had an unfaithful wife, a wife who left the Lord. And yet through that God is illustrating the, the struggle that he had with his children who had fallen away. And so he says in Hosea chapter 11 and verse 8, How can I let you go, O Ephraim? How can I surrender you, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can you be to me like Zeboam? Those are two cities in the valley of Zoar when Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed. He's saying, how can I let you be like that? He says, my passions are kindled within me. When we see the Father in this parable, he's like the Father in heaven. In Hosea chapter 11, he is saying, I don't want you to go. And I want you through my word, I want you to know how I feel about the consequences of sinful choices that you make. But I'm going to let you do what it is that you have decided to do. It's a very basic principle about how God has made us. God has made us with the ability to make choices and he will let us decide what we'll do. Moses in Deuteronomy 30 and verse 19 says, I called a record against you this day, heaven and earth, that I have set before you life and death. Blessings and cursings only choose life that both you and your children may live. Joshua says if it seems evil unto you choose this day whom you will serve whether it be the gods which your father served on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell but as for me and my house we will serve the Lord or as Elijah says if the, if the Lord is God then follow him. It can be very difficult for us not to try to lean on how the relationship was when we were younger parents and our children were small. And maybe it is that there's the last thing we want to do is let our children go into darkness without a fight. And so maybe we'll try anger and we'll try arguments and we'll try manipulations and threats and bribes. Anything we can do to keep them from going into the darkness. I'm not saying that it's an easy thing to do. But you know, God says that at the end of the day and at the end of the life, I'm going to let you decide what it is that you are going to do. You know, if the Bible is telling us that there's training that goes on in our home, it implies an end of the training. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, there comes a time when we must allow our children to make their own choices, good or bad, for success or failure. It's a surprising principle, but I believe it's a sound one. In this parable, the Father teaches us that when our children fall away, one thing that we can do is let them go. My mom used to tell me all the time that there are two types of people in this world. There are those who learn from their own mistakes and there are those who learn from others' mistakes. And her point is, it's better for you to be the one that lets other people show you the way not to go. But sometimes all of us find ourselves in a place where we have to learn the hard way. That was the prodigal son. A second principle that is given to us in this parable from the father is that when your child falls away, you need to guard your character. In verse 13 through 17, we see the process that's going on with the prodigal son when he's off in the far country. And he lets us know, that Luke lets us know in the giving of this parable that this young man squanders. He spends all, he suffers, and in his own words, he sins. In verse 17, when he looks and he examines himself, there's one thing that comes to his mind. And that's the way his father was. And a remarkable thing in this parable is that the younger son thinks about how his father treated others. Do you see that in verse 17? As he thinks about the character of his father, he goes, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And so when he thinks about his father's conduct, he sees that which is sterling. He sees a man who's doing what's right, and that had to make it easier for him to come back home, to return. You know, one thing that, may, that we can do when our children are struggling with their spirituality and maybe they are falling away or have fallen away or if it's some other family member or loved one is that we can make sure that we are living right. That's an area where we can focus When our children or family members fall away, they may be thinking back to how we are conducting ourselves. And if we're not conducting ourselves as we should, that's an area where we can work while we're waiting for them to come back home. We need to focus on our living righteously, being faithful, not just faithful to attend the church services, but faithful in our everyday lives, not to sin with our tongue or to sin with our attitude or to be in a position where we could be accused of being hypocritical. As the son thinks back to his father, he sees one of great character. And that's something that we can focus on. It's being the very best people that we can be so that it makes it easier for them to come home. A third principle that the father teaches us in this parable is that what we can do when our child falls away is we can be approachable. This is akin to the last observation in verse 18 through 20 when this younger son is, is... processing where he finds himself because of what he has done and squandering and living that prodigal life. He thinks back to his father and what he sees is one who he can have a compassionate ear with. When he thinks about his father and how his father was, he sees that here's a man that he can go back to and, and while the younger son is wondering whether or not he is worthy of compassion, There never seems to be a question in his mind as to whether or not his father was willing and able to give it. Even at his lowest point, he could still refer to him as my father. He knew that he would find in his father one who was willing to bring him back into his home. You know, that can be very hard for us to do. When we feel like we've been betrayed by our loved one, especially our child, and they reach out to us, they need to know that we have an unconditional love that's going to welcome them when they try to make their way back home. You know, sometimes as fathers, we may have a more difficult time with this. You know, I'm not the natural nurturer that Kathy is. I don't have a gentleness and a kindness that she has. And with three boys, so often I felt like I needed to be a little bit more gentle about that. But when I think about the fact that Jesus tells us with the Father that this is the way that we can behave even as men in our homes when our children are struggling to come back home. As Paul would say in Colossians 3 and verse 21 that we as fathers are not to exasperate our children so that they do not lose heart. That means that if we don't exasperate them, if we don't challenge them and we don't confront them and we don't provoke them, they'll keep heart. If we can just imagine ourselves in a situation to where if our children were in immediate physical danger, we would want them to reach out to us and for us to help them. But if they are in spiritual danger, that's the worst danger of all that there is. We want to live in such a way that our child would be able to say, I will arise and I will go to my father or my mother, verse 18. And so the third thing that he teaches us as hard as this can be when our children are trying to make those steps back home is to be approachable. Make it easy for them to come back home. The Father teaches us a fourth principle and that is that we can hope and trust that the principles that we instilled in them will continue to be something that they remember. And we see that in verse 18 through 20 again. When we look at the younger son, we don't have to wonder what's going through his mind because Jesus allows us to read his mind. And we know what's going through his mind when he's not in his right spiritual mind. We can see how he's living when he is living apart from and contrary to the values that he learned in his home, but we also can see how he's thinking when he's in his right mind when he is thinking like the values that he learned, he understood that for him to make things right, he had to leave the far country and he had to come back home and he knew that when he was sinning that he was hurting his family and he was hurting God. These are values. Even though he had abandoned them and was far from them in the far country, he, when he came to himself, leaned on the values that he learned. You know, it's, It's the world we live in that with social media, we we project perfection. We paint the prettiest picture possible of the things that are going on in our individual lives. But I want to tell you in this world of social media that our children made sinful decisions and still do. Just like their parents And the thing is, those are just not the kinds of things that we talk about on Facebook and Instagram and other social media platforms. It's not the things that we um, blog about and write about, but they happen. You see, God knew that there would be this brick wall called sin, Romans chapter 3 and verse 10 and 23. And so he shows us, he gives us the values that we can pass along to our children to help them to see that they can lean on those things. That restitution and and repentance comes when we make course corrections and restorations. The Apostle Paul says there's two kinds of sorrow that you can feel. There's the sorrow that's according to the will of God that results in, in a repentance without regret leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Or in 1 John chapter 1 verse 8 and 9 where John says don't deceive yourselves and think that you have no sin. But if you'll confess it, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What you can do while you're waiting for that child to come back home is to lean on the principles that you instilled in them and trust that that's living in their heart, and that perhaps it'll take a far country moment, but at some point they'll turn around and they'll come back home. As long as there's time, there's hope that those principles will be returned to. A fifth thing that I think the Father teaches us in this parable is that we need to be quick to reconcile. In verse 20 through 22, when you see how violated this father is, he has given the full estate to his son, and the son goes off into the far country. Can you imagine what it was like on that day? We, of course, we know the excitement that he felt, but it could have gone a different way. He could have laid down all of these house rules and all these stipulations and this conditional forgiveness that put him on probation, and maybe that's the way we would handle that. But isn't it remarkable that he lays out the olive branch immediately? And we see his quickness to reconcile in the way that he treated his son. You see how he treats him when he starts to come back. He sees him and he feels for him and he runs to him and he embraces him and he kisses him. He celebrates, he is rejoicing. And you can see his quickness to reconcile in the way that he speaks about his son to others. He throws a party and he says, let's celebrate, and he invites others to rejoice with him. What can make it hard for us to extend the olive branch? Maybe when our children are trying to get things right and they're trying to make their way back home. Well, sometimes it can be a fear of, of being burned. Maybe we feel like we're going to be used. We might think to ourselves, well, they did it once before. What's going to keep them from doing it again? And maybe it's at that time we've got to remember Paul's definition of love and the part of it that says that love bears all things, believes all things, it hopes all things, and it endures all things. When our loved one has fallen away, perhaps we find ourselves in a place where we think this may, this may happen again. I'm afraid. I feel vulnerable. But it might also be pride. Pride. Man, we've done so much for them. And this hurts. They don't even think about how this affects me. What it's done to my life, it's turned my life upside down. They have no idea and they don't seem to have any appreciation for that. I find a a principle that's very helpful in what Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This dealing with one who's got a brother who has hurt them and and maybe they want to try to, to take it into the courts of law. And what Paul says, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? If you have a situation where your child is maybe taking advantage of you and has hurt you in the far country, why not absorb that? Or, Or maybe it is that we have a fear that we're going to be too soft on sin. Again, you think about what Paul writes to the Corinthians. And in that first letter, there's a man who has his father's wife. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and Paul says, you've got to take action and make sure you can get this brother back. And they do take the action. And it seems to me in Second Corinthians chapter 2 that this is the man. And now he's trying to come back. And the apostle Paul warns them to be very careful. What he says is, Don't make sure that you show him comfort and love lest he be overwhelmed with excessive sorrow. Reaffirm your love for him. Maybe there's two extremes in which we can treat uh, our child when he's uh, in the far country of sin. Maybe we may be tempted to comfort and condone them in living in moral sin or if they leave the church for the world, but on the other end we can be too harsh. And we can make it difficult for them to make the decision to come back. I believe the Father makes it very clear that we can help our children for spiritual recovery if we are quick to reconcile. But there's a sixth principle that I think we learn from the father in this story, and that is don't neglect your other children. Now, the father in this parable doesn't do that, and that's remarkable to me. You know, all the, the back backstory's not given to us in the parable of the prodigal son, but you've got to assume that a man who's an accumulated an estate that he can give to his children had an occupation. If it's farming or something else, but here's a man who is able to keep at work with his occupation and he still keeps and maintains a relationship with his son who is at home. And yet he still has an eye out for the anticipated return for the boy who has left home. The father could be legitimate in his expression in verse 28 when he says to his son, Son, you have always been with me. It seems to me that the older boy's complaints are not warranted. They're not fair. The charges that he brings against his dad, that his dad was not only waiting for the prodigal to come back home, but he was still loving and caring for his son. Verse 31. It can be a very difficult thing for us to do, not to pour all of our energy and our emotion into that child or children who have fallen away. And it can be that our faithful children feel like we just don't, aren't paying attention to them or we're not as invested in them I don't know if you saw the movie a few years ago Wonder, it's a sweet little movie it's a a movie about a boy who has Treacher Collins Syndrome that causes a facial deformity and uh, you can imagine the special needs that this brought about emotionally as well as physically and they father and mother and there's an older daughter in the home. And the parents are constantly paying attention to Augie's special needs. But that older daughter, Via, she feels like she's forgotten. She's neglected. She's overlooked in the home, especially by the mother. And it's a story about the mom coming to understand that she also needs to be cared for even as this boy has special needs. We've got to remember that in our home That while we are focused on that one that has left, that we want to be back in our family situation, not to forget those children who are faithful, like the prodigal son's father did. But there's a seventh principle that we see from the father in this story with regard to a child who's fallen away, and that is to see with spiritual eyes. It's remarkable to me in this uh, parable the, the even-headedness that the father shows with the protests of the older brother who assumes bad motives on the part of his dad who also as he looks at his father he accuses him of favoritism saying that he's treating that younger son indulgently. And we know from Jesus that that's not the case. He's doing what it takes to get a penitent son back home. Now as the boy is looking at this, the older brother, he is looking from the emotional standpoint and the financial standpoint and the social standpoint. But the father's focus is palpable. You can see it in the way that he speaks. You can hear it when he speaks to the slaves in verse 24. And he says that this son of mine that was dead is alive again. He was lost and he has been found. You can hear it as he defends his actions to the older brother in verse 32 when he says, It was necessary for us to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live again. He was lost and he has been found. When our children fall away, our adult children, as they've gone away from the Lord, even if it happens before that time, we may be embarrassed. We may be afraid of our family, our spiritual family or our physical family finding out. Or maybe we're wrestling with guilt and, and perhaps we're, we're thinking about the fact or the idea. We convince ourselves that we are somehow failures in that. Or maybe we feel anger and frustration. Or it could be that in this circumstance that we have lost financially and our world has been rocked by the actions of that prodigal who has left home. But what the Father shows us is that our focus above all else needs to be on eternity and on the soul of that child. That's what's more important than anything else that we see in our lives as this is occurring. That parable is about repentance and restoration it's about a father who is eager to forgive. And that's perhaps our favorite part of the story is seeing a father who is eager to run and embrace us. What do we do when our children or any loved one falls away? But especially when it has to do with one that we help bring into this world who we know is going to be eternal, who's, who lived in our homes for all those years. I would like to be able to say that I could give you a foolproof uh, plan that would keep your child from staying in the far country that would cause them to come back home. But I would remind you that when the Bible speaks of our Heavenly Father, it says that He is perfect. He is better than any father or mother could ever be, and yet He has sons and daughters who have left Him and are in the far country. But he gives us some principles, I think, that help us to have our best hope. Os Guinness says that in terms of distance, the prodigal's pigsty was the farthest point from the father's house. But in terms of time, that pigsty was the closest distance to the father's house. And I believe that what Guinness is saying is it may seem like in this moment that your son or your daughter is so far away that there's no way to reach them. But it may be that they're just about to come to themselves. Maybe they're about to hit rock bottom and they're ready to come back home. We have got to be ready for that moment. And in this parable, I believe there are principles that can help us with that. Maybe it is that I'm speaking to someone tonight who is a prodigal. Someone who recognizes that you're not where you need to be. And perhaps you're wrestling with a decision to make things right and maybe you feel like you've gone too far and you've done too much and the Heavenly Father is just so displeased there's no way He could do what this story says He will do. But Jesus is illustrating the heart of the Father in that very fact. What will He do if you Make the step to come back home. Figuratively speaking, he will see, he will feel, he will run, he will embrace, he will celebrate you, there will be joy and acceptance. And as we see, every time someone makes that decision here, you have brothers and sisters who are not like that older brother, but those who are willing to celebrate your return. Maybe tonight that's the decision that you need to make to come back to him. You realize that it's time to come back. He's waiting for you. This is your invitation. Won't you come as together we stand and sing?